If I could please ask you to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 15, verse 17 to 33. I'd like to take this time to give you a challenge from the Word of God. In Romans chapter 15, verse 17 through 33. And the title of the message uh, this evening, I've, I have titled it, A Refreshing Evangelism. And uh, I can't help but find correlations in this in this message to perhaps what Dr. Whitfield's uh, life, how, how he uh, saw the world and saw his, his ministry. And um, before we continue, I'd like to pray and ask you to accompany me so we ask God's blessing on the word this evening. Father in heaven, we thank you uh, so much this evening for your grace to us. Thank you that we were able to see, uh, at least in my family, uh, the ministry, the impact that Dr. Whitfield had in this earth, Lord. I pray that you'd continue comforting, uh, bringing peace to the family, to the friends, to his church. And I loved him so very much. Father, we trust that uh, we will see him again one day, and may his life be an encouragement to, to us uh, as we seek to follow you, Lord. We pray this evening as we open up your word, Lord, give me the wisdom, give me the words to say, uh, that I may speak your truth, Lord. And may our hearts be challenged this evening uh, and be encouraged. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Romans chapter 15, verse 17 through 33, it's called a refreshing evangelism. And there's three things I'd like to share with you this evening. Uh, one, the first point is what our conviction as Christians must be. Uh, secondly, how that shapes our communion as uh, a church body of believers. And finally, we have a, cha a charge from the Word of God. So, verse 17 of chapter 15, if you're with me, it says like this. I have therefore whereof I may glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God. For I will dare not to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed through mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about unto Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see, and they that have not heard shall understand. For which cause also I have been much hindered from coming to you, but now having no more place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come unto you, whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you, for I trust to see you in my journey and to be brought on my way thitherward by you. At first I be somewhat filled with your company. But now I go unto Jerusalem to minister unto the saints, for it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. It hath pleased them verily, and their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. When therefore I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I will come by you into Spain. And I am sure that when I come unto you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, 
that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea, and that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints, that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God, and may with, and may with you be refreshed. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. The first thing that I'd like to uh, point out to you is that Paul says, if there's one thing that I dare to speak and glory myself in, it's this. You know, another way of, of viewing that is saying, uh, what are you proud of? What do you glory or what do you boast in? Um, I'm so happy to have to be a, a father, um, and especially the father of a little girl, because in my family, if you know my family, we're all boys. Uh, two brothers, uh, even in my dad's side of the family, there's a lot of boys. So having a little girl in the family was something new, something very exciting. And uh, Grecia's parents live in Costa Rica, and so they don't get to see their grandchild very much. Uh, my parents don't get to see their, their granddaughter very much. So we're always fi finding ourselves sending videos and pictures of, you know, she said her first word, or she climbed up that thing in the park that's super hard to climb. You know, we're, we're proud of her, what, how she's growing, how she's learning. So I want to ask you, what are you proud of? What do you boast in tonight? You know, we can be proud of our family. We can be proud of our work. Uh, if you're a scholar, if you uh, have, a, uh, have a career, you might be proud of that. Um, some people are proud of their homes. Some people are proud of their cars. That's why they wash them every day. What are you proud of? What do you boast in? You know, as believers, uh, first we have a conviction that I want to share with you, and this conviction is this, and it's the same conviction that Paul had and he shares, and I want to I challenge you with, with this. If this becomes your conviction, if this becomes your passion in your heart, then it's going to shape the way you commune with others, and it's going to shape also the way you see life. So Paul says here, if there's something that I may glory in, if there's something that I dare to speak of, it says, may I speak of what? Jesus Christ has accomplished through me. In other words, I want to speak out and, and glory in what Jesus is doing through my life. You know, that, that should be the believer's conviction. That should be your conviction tonight. That we may say the same way as Paul, if there's one thing that I may venture to speak or I may glory of, may it be what Christ has accomplished through me. So the question is then, what has Christ accomplished through you? Can you look back at your life and, and see when, when Christ saved you, can you see uh, uh, fruits of your salvation? Paul says here, his primary reason is what Christ has accomplished through him. And he, and he calls this work, uh, verse 17 says, the work of God. Uh, verse 19, he calls it the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And he gives this, this reference in Verse 21, he says, But as it is written, to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see, and they have not heard, they shall understand. You know, this is a reference to Isaiah 52. If you recognize this passage, it's the passage of the suffering servant. It's the first time in the Bible where God clearly presents what his plan is for his Messiah. It's a powerful verse. Where we find, you know, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was wounded for our iniquities. 
And so he makes this reference to this, to this, to this passage, and of course his hearers understand immediately what he's talking about. So he, he calls this, this work that, that, that God is doing through him, he calls it the gospel of Christ, he calls it that which has been untold and heard, he calls it the work of God. So Paul understands, as he's quoting this, this passage in, in Isaiah, that this plan of God is an ageless uh, eternal plan in Jesus, and it's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And he's so excited that he gets to be a part of this timeless plan of God in bringing the Gentiles to obedience. This is what he glories in, is seeing other people come to the feet of Jesus Christ as his Savior. That's his ambition. That's why he says later on, for this reason, I have made it my ambition to preach Christ all the way from Jerusalem to Illyricum. Now, to give you an idea, Illyricum is in the uh, western part of, of Italy. It's the southern part of Greece. And the, the distance is actually, I mean, at least 1,100 miles. And Paul says, it's, it's my ambition to have these people that have not heard the gospel to hear the gospel. And it's for this reason that I have ventured, dared, uh, endeavored to go out to these areas and preach the gospel of Christ. And he gives us how he does it. He says here in uh, verse 18, he says, by word and deed. So what he's saying is, is I endeavor to make Christ known by word and by deed. In other words, through his preaching, through his teaching, through his conversations with ordinary people he meets in his day-to-day -day life. Uh, when he says by deed, he's talking about his, his actions, uh, acts of kindness, his holy living. And in other words, he is a testimony of what Christ has done through him in, through his life. And so it really is humbling to know that it's not just our words that will reach people. It's not just through words that we preach Christ and we show Christ. It's through our living. And then he adds, uh, through signs and wonders, we see it here in um, verse 19, through mighty signs and wonders, by the power, not of man, but by the power of the Spirit of God. So, Paul recognizes that this is not man's work. It is God's work. And, and this is important, people, because we understand that the power to live comes from the Lord, from the Holy Spirit that's living in us. And we cannot endeavor to do this kind of work. We cannot endeavor to make uh, his name known to the people in the world that have not heard. We can't endeavor to preach the gospel if first we are not surrendered to the Spirit of God. We need his power. We need his direction, his wisdom, his guidance in our life. So he makes it clear that our conviction must be to be able to say, look at what Christ has done through me. How we accomplish it is by word, is by deed, uh, we see where, he says, from Jerusalem to Lyricum. 
and we can we can apply it to our, ourselves. And you know, this is this is our Jerusalem. Um, as you go out, oh, where's your lyricum? It's the neighboring countries. It's it's foreign countries, and it's so good to know. As I was listening this morning, this 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 evening, um, the missionaries that you guys support. That's wonderful. And the question is, uh, and the challenge is, what are you doing around in this area? How are you making the gospel known in your town? You know, first of all, it starts in your own family. And one of the things that um, having a child has has really uh, uh, opened our eyes and, 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 and we've been seeking the Lord daily is praying every day for the salvation of our children. We have this little boy that's coming, and we, we're already starting to pray that by God's grace, he will also come to know the Lord. So I want to challenge you this evening, you who have kids, um, are you praying that God will make himself known to your children? So we see here that, first of all, we have a, a conviction, a conviction that Paul uh, shares with us. And the challenge tonight is that we will share in that conviction. So I have three applications here that I want to share with you. Number one, uh, as a believer, we must seek to be, to, to be proud of what Christ has done through us. Perhaps we have been prided ourselves for several, several years in the wrong things. Perhaps we glory in things that are not eternal. And we need to change that. Secondly, are my words and my deeds helping my gospel witness? Or perhaps they are hindering it. And third, what are areas around me? In other words, what is, what is my Jerusalem? What is my Illyricum uh, where they need to hear about Jesus Christ? See, the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the life of the church, as it reaches the lost around her by the power of the Holy Spirit, that is what we should desire to be proud of. Once I'm convinced that this is true, as I was saying, it's going to shape our, our communion. And we see, we see it very clearly here in verse 22. And it's really interesting and really refreshing what Paul says in verse 22 through verse 29. You notice that he's, he desires, he longs to be with the believers in Rome. Now, the interesting fact is, uh, scholars believe that, Roman, that Paul had hadn't been in the church of Rome yet. He, he, he hadn't stepped foot in the church. So the question is, how does he know these people? Well, uh, perhaps these, these people are people that he has met along his, the way before. Uh, there's people that have uh, hosted him as a family, have given him a place to sleep. Uh, there's families that have fed him. And so these are people that have, that have gone out. And I, I would like for you to look at why it's important, um, verse, first of all, verse 20, 20 through 22, he says here, yea, verse 20, I have strived to preach gospel, the gospel not where Christ was named. Sorry, verse 22, verse 22, for which cause also I have been much hindered from coming to you. It says, but now having no more place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come unto you, Whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you. 
for I trust to see you in my journey and to be brought on my way thitherward by you, if first I be somewhat filled with your company. Uh, the last part in verse 33 says, I want to be refreshed. You know, he longs this, this relationship with, with the believers. And so we, we find four words that help us describe what kind of communion it is. In verse 24, uh, it, it can also be translated helpful. Uh, verse 24, it says, that I may be filled with your company. It's something that's enjoyable. And verse 32 if you look with me in verse 32, it says that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God and may with you be refreshed. So we see here that the, the communion, the fellowship that we have as believers is helpful, it's enjoyable, it brings joy, and it refreshes. Why is that possible? It's because we, we share in the conviction that what really matters, what really, as believers, we should glory in is what Christ is accomplishing through us and what Christ is accomplishing through us together as a church. It's really interesting, if you look with me in chapter 16, we have examples of this fellowship. We have examples of this communion. Look with me, if you will, in verse 1 of chapter 16. As Paul is, is uh, saying his goodbyes, he, he mentions a, a group, a number of people who, who have partaken in this fellowship. It says here in verse 1, it says, I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at Sincrae, that she receive her in the Lord as becometh saints, and that ye assist her, in whatsoever business she hath need of you, for she hath been a succorer of many and of myself also. Wow, what an amazing testimony. This, this woman, Phoebe, he says was a succorer. In other words, uh, she would probably take Paul and some of his co-laborers in his, her house. She would feed them. She would clothe them. She would help support their ministry. Uh, if, we keep, if we keep reading in verse 3, Paul says, Greet Prisa, Priscilla and Achilla, my helpers in Christ Jesus. He says, Who for have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. So these people, it doesn't, it doesn't tell us how they uh, uh, risked their lives for Paul. It just says they risked their lives to help out Paul in his ministry. And we, we find uh, uh, verse 6, it says, Greet Mary who bestowed much labor on us. Uh, verse 7 says, Salute Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. So they were in jail. We don't know if perhaps at the same time, maybe in different times, but they were in jail just like Paul. You know, these, this, is, this is a couple. Uh, then we have a family in uh, verse, verse 10. He says, salute them which are of Aristobulus' household. We have a family. Uh, we have siblings. We have Tryphena and Chephosa in verse 12. And we have, this is my favorite, we have uh, the mother of Rufus, verse 13. He says, salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. So this is a lady that Paul says, she's, she's like my mama. My mama away from home. 
So if you know, there's all these people. There's uh, men, there's women, there's families, there's siblings, there are couples who have come together and ministered to Paul, ministered to his co-laborers um, to bring the, the, the gospel of Christ to these people who have not heard. Folks, this is what the conviction does when it grabs a hold of our hearts as a church. It's our communion. We have examples of this. And so the application for us this, this evening is that whether you're a man, whether you're a woman, whether you are older, whether you are single, whether you are young, whether you have a family or not, how is God using you to reach the lost around you? Let us think of ways in which I can strengthen, encourage, or refresh those who go out and preach the gospel. A believer who is committed in letting the gospel of Christ work in him will be a blessing in his communion with fellow believers, but also in the sharing of his material blessings. We find here in, in Acts chapter 8, verse 1 through 3, if you go with me really quickly, please, Acts chapter 8, verse 1 through 3. You know, we find as, as we were reading Romans, we see that Paul says, I, I would like to come see you um, on my way to Spain, but first I have to go take this, this offering to Jerusalem, to the saints there. And the question is, why does Paul seem necessary to go to Jerusalem and take this offering to the saints? So, in chapter 8, verse 1 through 3 of Acts, it, it, it tells us, it gives us a backstory to why the saints in Jerusalem are suffering. It says in verse 1 of Acts, And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. But as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them and committed them to prison. So why are, they, are these saints in Jerusalem suffering? Because there's a great persecution that started with Paul. With Paul. So if I could... If I could if we can look into Paul's heart, maybe we can see that there's great guilt, a great feeling over uh, compassion for the saints in Jerusalem because he was the one who was a part of it. And that's why he's, he's taking this, this offering from these churches in Macedonia and Achaia and, and some of the churches in Macedonia and Achaia, you, you know very well. You know, you think of uh, Thessalonica, uh, Corinth, Philippi. These are, these are churches that are in that region that we have uh, books named after. And Paul says, these believers are sending these, these offerings, and I'm going to pick these offerings and take them to the saints that are suffering in Jerusalem. But not only were they selling, sending this, this help to the saints, but the, also they were collaborating to Paul. In, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 8 through 9, we see that. 2 Corinthians Chapter 11, verse 8 through 9. Listen to what Paul says in, in, in Corinthians. You know, uh, the funny thing about Corinthians is it was a, it was a very wealthy church. Um, 
but they weren't really necessarily giving. They're, in fact, criticizing Paul for being an apostle. A lot of them questioned his apostleship, his authority. And so Paul was not accepting help, uh, economic help from them. And in verse 8 of chapter 11, he says, I robbed other churches taking wages of them to do you service. And when I was present with you and wanted, I was chargeable to no man for that which was lacking to me, that our brethren which came from Macedonia supplied it. And in all things, I have kept myself from being burdensome unto you, and so will I keep myself. So Paul didn't want to be a burden to the church in Corinth, and so he wasn't accepting their help. But he says, the help that I need, I get it from the churches of Macedonia and Achaia. So you must think, wow, those believers in Macedonia and Achaia were wealthy believers. You know, they're, they're sending the financial help to the poor in Jerusalem that are suffering. They're sending financial help to Paul, to his co-laborers. They must be wealthy, right? In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 through 6, if you look with me, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 through 6. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. So what was the state of the believers in Macedonia and Achaia? Since they were in severe affliction. We don't know what kind of affliction it was, but not only that, it says they were in extreme poverty. They weren't just poor. They were extremely poor. And what's shocking is that it says they begged Paul. They begged him, Paul, please. Paul was saying, no, no, brothers, please. Uh, you're suffering. You're poor. You're, you're suffering this severe affliction. Please don't. Just take care of yourselves. I don't want to receive your offering. And they begged him, Paul, please don't take this blessing from us. Why could they do that? Why could they, and it says they were giving, and it says here in verse 4, they were giving with joy. They were joyful in giving. It wasn't like, oh, well, I guess I'm going to give. Oh, I guess I'm going to help out. They were joyful in giving. And folks, the reason why, why they can do that is because they say, they say like Paul, you know, if I glory in this thing, it's what Christ is doing through us. That's their conviction. And if we have that same conviction, we will be able to have joy despite our affliction, despite whether we have money in the bank or not, because we understand that the material things in this world don't really matter. They matter for, for here, right? 
Now, don't, don't, go, don't go thinking like my brother once said, oh, the Lord's coming soon, so I better stop working. What I'm saying is, in the long run, in the scope of eternity, it's really not that important. So we have a humbling example from these believers that gave full of, go- full of joy, that they gave generously. And they can do this because, verse 5, it says, they gave themselves first unto the Lord. That's the, that's the key. That's the key. So the believers giving, when we give, it's an act of worship. And that act of worship flows from a heart that has been given, given itself over to the Lord. And second, all believers are capable of giving according to their strength for the furtherance of the gospel in your home and beyond. And lastly, we find here our charge. Our charge. If we go back to Romans chapter 15. Verse 30, Romans 15, verse 30. We have here our last point, which is we saw what our conviction should be. We saw how it shapes our communion as believers, and now we have a charge, a final charge. It says in verse 30, it says, And now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit. Once again, let's, let us note that Paul understands that this is not his work. If it was his work, he wouldn't mention Jesus Christ or the Holy Spirit. He understands that this is God's work, and we must understand that as well. He says, I beseech you by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit that you strive together with me in your prayers. To God for me, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea, and that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints. That I may come unto you with joy by the will of God, and may with you be refreshed. So our charge is an appeal. And this word only happens one other time. And what it means, it means struggle together. So it's so important that the church comes together to pray together. It's a struggling together. And it's, it's a struggle because it's hard. There's, there's a thousand things we can think of to do before praying. There's a million excuses we can come up with before praying. And but the Bible tells us here that, that our prayer is a struggle. And he prays for two things. He prays, number one, that he will be delivered from the unbelievers. In other words, that... He, he prays for protection, uh, both physically, because uh, people, there's always someone trying to get him, and also that in his ministry to be protected from their verbal attacks, from their criticism, from their animosity against him and, and the gospel. And the second thing he prays for, he says that the offering that he's, he's talking about this offering that he's he's received from the churches in Macedonia and Achaia, he, he, he's praying, he says, pray for that, that offering will be received by the poor saints in Jerusalem and that it will be a blessing to them. 
He prays for that. And then as we can add it as a bonus, he says, and pray that when I do finally reach you, after all this work, after all this, this journey, that when I get to you, I will get to you with joy and that I will be refreshed. So church, uh, this evening, what kind of church are we? Are we a church that uh, is refreshing in evangelism? When, when, when your missionaries come, uh, when, and it's, it's so nice to see the testimony of how the church refreshed and encouraged and helped out your pastor, Dr. Whitfield. And that is commendable, and that's, that's great. And I, shall, and I urge you to continue being that kind of church. But also, personally, individually, that we be that kind of church as well. And so we see here, for a final application, we must recognize uh, that this work is not a human work, but it is God's work. And requires his power and protection. That's why we must be a church that prays. And the question is, are we committed then to strive together in prayer for the furtherance of the gospel? Perhaps this evening we must uh, ask the Lord's strength and that he may put in us a desire to be men and women that pray more. Because only through God's power we are able to be instruments where hearts and lives will be changed and people will come to know Jesus Christ. So these are three simple points that I want to share with you tonight. As we bow our heads and close our eyes, if there's something that we, uh, you see in your heart that the Lord is challenging you tonight, uh, I urge you to pray with me this evening. Father in heaven, we thank you. Uh, first of all, because we, if we know you and tonight we give testimony that we are children of God, it's because someone was brave enough to give us the gospel. I thank you, Lord, that I am a product of missions. I thank you that someone came uh, to my town and uh, brought the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for this church, that you would put in each man and woman's heart a uh, conviction that what re really truly matters is what Christ is doing through us. Lord, may, may, may uh, this church be a church that refreshes, that encourages, that comes together alongside the ministers and blesses them with their prayers, with their support, with their hospitality. And Father, may this church be a church that prays for its missionaries, for its pastor, and for the work that you have uh, given them here in, in Birmingham. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.